I've just... <laughs> uh, the Myers are Yankees, and, uh, and so am I, and, and uh, so we, we really kind of connect. And uh, I just wanted to, I, I just, there's a, there's an accord uh, in, in the area of worship that I really experienced with Bruce and Kathleen Meyer, and I just uh, wanted to ask her a few questions, and uh, hopefully we can get some insight by some people in our church as to the topic of worship. So my first question to Kathleen is, how would you define worship? Uh, worship is the right response to who God is, and um, that presupposes that you know who God is. And um, that can take the form of praise, adoration, thanksgiving, uh, but it's also submitting to God. Um, I think of Romans 12 where it says, offer your um, bodies as a living sacrifice, for this is your spiritual worship. And um, to me, that's a picture of crawling off the throne of your life and crawling on the, to the altar so that God will be on the throne. Um, it makes me think of a song we used to sing 30 years ago, um, forget about yourself and concentrate on him and worship him. So I, I think worship is shifting the focus of my life from me to God and um, concentrating on him and magnifying him, which we use magnify without thinking about it, but magnify is really to make large. And I think worship is making God larger in my life than anything else, larger than my cares, larger than my desires, larger than any concerns I have. Uh, that's worship to me. And it, it doesn't happen just on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. Worship is something that happens all week long so that um, it's not reserved for Sunday or Wednesday. Rather, Sunday and Wednesday should reflect what is happening in my heart all week long. All right. I picked a good uh, person, didn't I? Um, Kathleen, on the lighter side of things, we, uh, we email hymn verses back and forth to each other from time to time. Why do we do that? This is a good question. <laughs> Why do we do that? Um, you know, it, the thing that pops into my head is from Ephesians 5, it says, speak to one another in song, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And um, I just have a passion for hymns because um, in contrast to a sermon which expounds scripture, a hymn compacts doctrinal truth into you know, as few words as possible, saying, saying as much as possible in as few words as possible and commun communicating truth with a punch right to your heart. So um, I think that's a wonderful way to encourage one another and to lift each other up. And I get excited when I um, come across hymn lyrics, which just punch me. And I want to email Jim right away. <laughs> um, you know, like today I was thinking of a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Right? You go a week on just that line. Um, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's it, right there. And so, uh, because of my passion for hymns, I love to share with someone who has a passion for hymns. Excellent. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Elliot said that hymns will get you through the night. Uh, that's a good quote. You know, in your hardest times, you're not laying there singing, Do Lord. 
uh, you go for the, the things that, that compact uh, doctrinal truth and truth about who God is. All right, uh, just a couple more quick things. Um, what is it that you and Bruce find so agreeable about what is happening at Grace of Anne? I mean, y'all are pretty, uh, y'all are a couple smarty pants people. Uh, Bruce is writing uh, curriculum for us. And what is it that, that you concur with here? Jesus said that God is spirit and uh, we should worship him in spirit and in truth and that is what we find here. Uh, truth spoken, taught, um, truth is central to the worship here and uh, but it's also in spirit so that it's not just external motions but everyone is encouraged to be internally worshiping so that uh, we have a passion for God within that comes out. So it's not just a, a fellowship of people that is centered on the truth, but also um, one that worships in, in spirit, really, from within. And uh, I guess that grabbed us. Okay. And, and along that vein, along that vein, what would you like to see happen in our midst, in this body, you know, we've got the building, we've got, uh, all, you know, all this on the horizon. W what would you like to see happen in the next five or ten years at our church in the area of worship? I don't think there's anything that um, the staff can make happen for an individual. Um, already, truth is central to worship here. Uh, I think the thing that needs to be done is to encourage people to uh, know God better because it's out of knowing Him that we respond. If we don't know Him better, there's no response. So uh, I wouldn't focus on worship. I would focus on um, raising up a body to intimately know God, because then the response follows. Good That's answer. all. Good answer. <laughs> Kathleen, thank you. How about a, an encouraging smatter? Uh, all right, I knew I picked a good one uh, to start us off. Um, let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Righteous Father, we do come before you knowing that uh, our, our desire to love you more deeply comes ultimately from the fact that you loved us with an everlasting love. And not only did you, uh, did you state that to us, but you proved it to us by the sending of your own Son, by the shedding of his precious blood. Uh, you, O oh God, proved your faithfulness and goodness and love to us. And we do want to respond. We do want to know you better that we might love you more deeply and that uh, all the, uh, the side issues like um, songs and melodies and instrumentation and, and building programs, we just pray, Father, that those things would be uh, very secondary, that we would find ourselves desiring to know you better and what it is you require of us. Lord, we do remember our senior pastor and his travels and his family, and we just pray, pray that you would bless him.
bless him with good sleep, O God. Bless him, we pray, with uh, rest and refreshment that he might come back to us invigorated. And we pray, Father, for the Bolton family, that you would uh, give that family a strange sense of comfort. We pray, Lord, that in the midst of, uh, of uh, diagnoses that say one thing one day and another thing another day, and in the midst of well-meaning people and uh, the smell of a hospital, Lord, we pray that they might find some warm comfort knowing that you are intimately connected with them, that you are intimately involved in their situation, and we pray that you administer to them very uniquely. And we pray that you would bring uh, her back to good health. We pray for uh, uh, Ruby Hiller, uh, recovering from heart transplant. Father, we do pray that you would bring about health in her, uh, and we pray, Father, that uh, you would use that to bring uh, the people in that situation closer to you. We pray for uh, Rick's new opportunity, whatever that may be. We pray that you would guide their decision in that. We pray for Lee Smith's mother in the hospital, that you would minister to that family, Father, and that you would minister to uh, a, a child who uh, views a very uh, scary and difficult thing. We pray for uh, Deborah Hackett again, Father. We thank you for her faithfulness. We thank you for uh, her belief and her children's belief uh, that presenting these things before you is a, a worthwhile and helpful and wise activity. Bless that family, Father. Do protect, do sustain, and do give answers. We pray for uh, strength and peace for Debbie Williams. We pray that you would supply it for her uh, and for her uh, son, Lord. Might you minister to that family. And we do lift up Chris Myatt uh, to you. I just... Uh, I pray for Chris, Lord, that uh, you would keep him safe in his travels, that you would cause him to uh, even mature in these things, and uh, that he might uh, come back feeling a little bit smaller and a little more reliant on you as Heavenly Father. Lastly, Lord, we pray that your blessing would be upon what we do here tonight. We pray that uh, you would forgive us our sin afresh, that we might open your word and be invigorated by it. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use the speaker and... Uh, yet hide him. Do not let him bumble into your way, but might we hear the good sermon uh, originated by you, O oh God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles, please, and um, turn to Genesis 4. Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. Genesis 4.1 Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And let's pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. It is only a woman that can turn a mere house into a home. I don't know how they do it. I know there's a lot more stuff to knock over. Uh, but there's something about what a woman can do that changes it from just some, you know, apartment or some house or some crib or some place where a dude hangs out into a home. And I don't care if the guy's got a credit card and he can go to Pottery Barn uh, all day long and buy all kinds of leather furniture uh, and wall hangings. But it's still, there's something about it that, that it doesn't, it's not a home. Uh, along that same vein, uh, I love my wife Tammy's taste. And uh, I might go to somebody's house and I'm kind of looking around going, mm, I don't like that larder. Uh, or I'm looking at the drapes and I'm like, mm, well, that's a little, you know, a little too much. Uh, you know, a little dotty, uh, and uh, not any of yours, of course, but uh, <laughs> back up north. But uh, it, it dawns on me that I look at things, I look at things in the store, I look at furniture, and I look at a pattern on a couch, and I'm thinking, I like that, or I don't like that, and so much, most of it, is traced back to Tammy's taste. Now look, I buy my own clothes, I dress myself, she doesn't lay it out for me, I, I mean, I have relatively good taste, but I find that my taste is, is very much set by a source outside of me. <laughs> Don't you find that to be the, the case, gentlemen? I mean, guys, we want black lacquer, you know, bedroom furniture and chrome and black couches and we want recliners in every room and a wagon wheel table and a moose head, you know, on the wall. I mean, that's what we want. But our house doesn't look that way <laughs> because the, the standard is set very clearly by somebody outside of us. Well, worship of course, is at the heart of the Christian faith. And worship is at the very center of the life of the church, and we hope our church. And there's a great emphasis on worship in our culture, as you know. People uh, talk about worship, and there's books on worship, and, and, and churches and pastors and uh, elders want to use worship for a variety of reasons. They want to use worship for evangelism. People want to use worship to uh, grow a church. People want to use worship to attract new members. In fact, people even name their church with uh, worship in mind, that it would reflect something about their attitude, about how they view worship. For example, heart song, the flock that rocks. I don't make fun of heart song. I'm just telling you the sign that I see every time I drive up and down Germantown Parkway. Heart song. That tells you something about the way they view worship and how they, they uh, uh, want to use it. 
What I want to do with you and I, throughout this whole month, and I know Jimmy too, what I would like to do is look at the biblical roots of worship and try to determine what is prescribed by God, what is wanted by God, what is valued by God, and find out the standard that is set, because it's set outside of ourselves. We might want a moose head or a wagon wheel coffee table in worship, but God has prescribed certain things, and that is our standard. Evangelism is a noble thing. Church growth is important. Attracting new members is important. Vibrancy uh, is important. But we need to go back to the, the very basics to find out what it is that God wants uh, in all of your life. Don't you, don't you want what is His good and pleasing and perfect will? In this situation, we want for His will. We pray for it. And so it should be in the area of worship. Well, you see that worship takes place in the very first pages of Scripture. Uh, and even before uh, Cain and Abel, uh, even before the fall, you can rest assured, even though it's not stated specifically in Scripture, you can rest assured that Adam and Eve worshipped. Uh, before the fall, before sin it came into uh, play, before it became a factor, before the fall, uh, before the uh, ramifications of sin known as original sin came into being, Adam and Eve worshipped. Even though it's not written, you can, you can believe that they did because every instance of a sinless creature that I can think of in Scripture, those creatures, those beings, worship as a very essential part of, of who they are and why they were made. They worship, the sinless beings worship because it's logical, rational, it only makes sense. It's an essential part of, of who they are. Well, in this passage, we see the very first forms of worship and liturgy. And you know that in Scripture, there are basically two groups of meanings for the, the word worship. Uh, one of those uh, has to do with the priestly service. Um, you know, the sacrificial system, uh, the priest would serve and tend to the temple or the tabernacle uh, and, and labor and serve. Okay, the other use of, of the word worship has to do with bending and bowing. And, uh, and moving low before someone who is, who, is, who is more wonderful. And then, of course, in the case of our God, someone who is sublime and perfect. So we may, we may deduce that worship is this active thing, serving, uh, uh, laboring, bending, venerating, paying homage, uh, weeping in the presence of the beauty of the holiness of... Uh, worship is this thing that we do. Um, and it's therefore not to please ourselves, but to please someone outside of ourselves, someone who sets that standard. The primary focus is not to be on anything but paying God homage because he's worthy. Uh, Richard Hall uh, sent me this little quote, um, two of them. I'm going to read, I'm going to save the other one. Eugene Peterson said, the job of the pastor is to teach people to pray. The job of the pastor is to lead Christians into worship. Everything else, evangelism, discipleship, youth ministry, everything italicized flows from worship. Now those other things are important. Evangelism, important. Youth ministry, important. Discipleship, critically important. Small group, important. But everything must flow from worship. 
That's the primary purpose. It's why we were made. All other benefits, I say it again, all other benefits must be secondary. We cannot say we want to make worship our number one tool for evangelism more than anything else. Evangelism is important. But the primary thing must be that God is bowed before and paid the veneration, given the glory, his name magnified, he, he given what he is due. Well, in our text today, we don't, we don't see just the, the first account of the first murder. <laughs> we see a, a verification of the fact that not all worship is what God wants, is it? You know, we, we tend to have this attitude, well, doesn't it matter if I'm sincere? I mean, isn't that what really matters, is that we're sincere? No. It doesn't. And Scripture is very plain about that, that not all sacrifices, not all worship is what God wants. There are all kinds of uh, uh, demonstrations in Scripture of, of money being worshipped and idols being worshipped, handmade idols, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, in, in Scripture, we see uh, rituals being carried out, love of ritual, love of heritage, love of tradition, love of love of worship. But not all sacrifices are acceptable to God. Turn, if you would, to Amos. Um, if you find Isaiah, go right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, chapter um, 5, verse 21. The Lord speaking, Amos 5.21. Jehovah says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings, and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Now, what's so, what's so poignant about all that is, you know, God says, I hate, and don't get, get me wrong, I despise your religious feasts. Well, religious feasts, orthodox. Um, I can't stand your assemblies. What? Orthodox. Burnt offerings? Orthodox. Grain offerings? Orthodox. Choice fellowship offerings? Orthodox. Uh, he calls it their sons noise. And what about harps? I will not listen to the music of your harp. I mean, they're pretty. I mean, if it had electric guitar in there, we might go, well, yeah, see? But harps is pretty. And God won't listen. Why? Well, look at the next verse. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. You know, he just doesn't want this circus. He doesn't want show business. He doesn't want park hands and gels. He wants righteousness. The point is God zeroes in on the matters of the heart. You know, what does God want out of us on Sunday morning? I'll tell you what he's looking at. He zeroes in on the heart. 
You know, when we on a Sunday morning, a lot. Some of you in here are musicians, and, and we we have worked on music together. And uh, you know that uh, before we rehearse, we bow low, it with trembling, and say, "Lord, you know, we don't want to. We just don't want that." In fact, every once in a while, I'll, when we do an offertory, I'll put something together that'll be kind of, and then it'll get real quiet at the end. And we, sometimes we try and rob the, the congregation of going. You know, where you just like, should we clap? Should we not clap? Sometimes we do that on purpose uh, because we don't want the focus to be on us. Have you ever seen a musician leave the stage? You know, they're, they're not walking through the crowd going, hey, how you doing? Yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, have you noticed? Brad Jones leaves the piano and he stares at the floor. Carla Hall stares at the floor. And we don't want anything to detract from what we've just done because it's supposed to be a matter of its focus being on God and his glory. Well, I say to you that, that, that the congregants need to be that way. We all need to be that way. God zeroes in on the heart. You know, we see in the Bible that the primary inclination of fallen humanity is not, is not away from ritual and away from creed and away from all these things, tradition, heritage. Our inclination is not away from those things. Our inclination, the inclination of fallen humanity is not toward unbridled atheism. It's toward religion and religiosity and going through motions and having some little routine that we can do so we can say, okay, got that done. But God peers in on the heart and worship is so much it is. It's a matter of the heart. We tend to think that as long as we're being religious or as long as something has a positive spin on it uh, or as long as we're sincere, because that's got to count for something. We, we think that God is pleased. Or we think that uh, just because we'll, we'll sit there for 45 minutes on a hard pew and we'll sing seven stanzas to every hymn and uh, we'll sing songs that were written between 1800 and, and 1903 and, and we'll say praise the Lord and amen every five seconds that somehow the, the road activities will make God happy. But it's not so. He zeroes in on the heart. Now, back to our passage in Genesis. When, when, when people handle this or read it, uh, they often uh, think that this has something to do with, uh, you know, we look at Abel's sacrifice being acceptable and Cain's not being acceptable. And we look at it and, and the, the speculation is very tempting to say that, well, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because there was blood involved. And, uh, you know, you could follow that line of logic uh, very easily. I mean, without the remission, of, w without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Uh, the life is in the blood. The sacrificial system was put in place. You know, if you don't like uh, the thought of cute little fuzzy lambs uh, being killed with blood on their cute little fuzz, if that makes you awkward and uncomfortable and you think it's horrifying, good. Because that's what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to say, oh, that's horrible. So grievous must sin be against a holy God, the shedding of blood. It was supposed to point to an ultimate sacrifice that would pay once for all. It was supposed to direct us toward Christ, an even more horrific thing to, to see. But, you know, how many times have you heard people say, well, you know, that's why Abel's sacrifice is better, because, you know, his was, was an animal. I've heard that many, many times. Here's the problem with that. It's not in the Bible. That's a problem. Um, it's certainly not specified under a text. Uh, it, it, well, let me let me flip you to uh, Isaiah one. 
verse 11. We're going to go back here a second. Um, God speaking here. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings. That's animal and blood. I have enough of rams, the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Uh, you know, who, why are you trampling my courts? Stop this meaningless offering. Your incense is detestable and so on. Your evil assemblies, new moon festivals and all that. We see that God does not find these animal sacrifices acceptable. And there's no reason why we need to speculate that Cain's was just uh, better because it was uh, a, a blood sacrifice. Now, you see how tempting that is, though. To, to, to guess that, Cain, uh, that uh, Abel somehow perfectly foresaw the sacrificial system and, and uh, because of his godliness was able to see all this and all that. Now, look at verse 2 of uh, Genesis 4. Uh, later, Eve gave birth to uh, uh, Cain's brother Abel. And the, the scripture writer is very clear. He says, now Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. You know, this one guy had this job, and this other guy had this job. And, you know, nowhere are we to see that, that, being a, that shepherding sheep is better than, you know, growing produce. Both of these guys bring something that they have, that they have uh, produced, uh, and they lay it down before the Lord. Each of them has an occupation, and they say, here's the, the first fruit of my occupation, here's the first fruit of my occupation, and they lay it before the Lord. One's found acceptable, one is not found acceptable. And what's the difference? Well, the Bible tells us. Hebrews 11. Fly over there if you would. Hebrews 11, the big famous Hall of Fame of Faith chapter. And it says in Hebrews 11 verse 4, Abel's mentioned and his sacrifice is mentioned. It says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks to you and me today, even though he is dead. The thing that makes one sacrifice better than another is the state of the heart. You know, it's, it's one thing to show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And let me tell you, um, I, uh, why would I pick Kathleen Meyer to come up here? And I picked a few other people. Why would I pick them? You know, it's not just because there's some exterior activity that's going on or they seem to look worshipful. There's some accord that I'm aware of. There's some sense that, that there's a, a person that is bowed low as well. And Sunday after Sunday, I just, I pray for you. I pray. Now listen, you're here on Wednesday night. You're here to get fed. I mean, y'all are kind of the choir and everything, I know. But uh, my hope is that in the series, we can walk out with a, a higher view of who God is. And, and a better understanding of why we show up on Wednesday and Sunday and why we wake up in the morning. It is because God 
judges the heart. God wants the heart. He wants us and all of us. And on Sunday morning, you can have this kind of arrangement and this kind of service and, and, and all that, but the primary focus has to be the magnifying of God. You know, um, Robin Odie did this little dance thing Sunday morning. And uh, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Uh, I, uh, I have to tell you that uh, musically, that was one of the hardest things we've done in a long time. It was hard for the musicians. It's hard to, it's hard to accompany a dancer, because if you mess it up uh, while she's in midair, you know, she's got to do one of these things, and, uh, and then come down. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. And we put hours and hours into that thing. And uh, I looked up at one point and saw, you know, when, when, when uh, the, the, the last time when BJ sings, at the cross, at the cross, when I pray, and she comes whizzing across the stage. I looked up and saw that for the very first time because I've been watching my fingers through all these rehearsals. And I was just, I almost started weeping. It was such a joyous thing and it so reflected the message of salvation. Well, guys, you know what Robin's big concern was before she did that thing? She's danced. You know, she's a professional ballerina. She's up from the Northeast somewhere and signed on with this company. You know what her big concern was? She's performed hundreds and hundreds of times in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And you know what she needs to do? She needs to do it really, really well so the people that paid $45 will go... Let's go to Cafe Espresso. That's her goal. She comes in here, and she's got a heart dilemma. The heart dilemma is, why am I performing now? Why am I doing this? You know, it's this battle inside of her. I, even the word performance. Oh, I don't know what else to call it. You know, you practice something, and then you perform it. But, but the mindset can't be, we want, really want, I hope those people walk away happy. The mindset has to be, why am I doing this? It's, it's Dr. Young, an audience of one. And that's the focus. And so Robin has to come to terms before she does this and, and think to herself, I want the muscles in my body to move and stretch for you, Lord. And I want my mind to be thinking about these things and these moves that I've worked so hard on for you, Lord. And I want to feel my lungs take in air and let them go. Not so the people will see how hard I'm working, but I want to do that because you've given me that breath. And I want to feel the sweat rolled on my back because you made me. I say to you that that's not just the role of the people on the stage on Sunday morning. It's our role. It's our role. And not just on Wednesday and Sunday. It's our role every day. We wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, you gave me these eyes to see the sunlight. We were built to worship God. I'll tell you something else. Our focus is to be on Him and Him and Him. We were built to be a people whose focus, whose heart set is on Him. And when we point it inward, on our own woes, on our own interests, on our own troubles, on our own, our own goals. It's like taking drops of poison. Slowly taking drops of poison. We weren't built that way. We were built 
to magnify him. A few things and we'll be done. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let me show you one more, two more. Turn to Matthew if you would. Matthew 6, chapter 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, whose Bible has money with a capital M? Don't you find that interesting? Why is there a capital M? I'll tell you why. Because the idea is money personified. Money uh, set up as something that, that is in competition with the one true God. And frankly... That verse is very convicting for me because I can take uh, money and I can put a capital letter there and turn it into all kinds of things. I can put a capital G there and follow it with a itar. <laughs> Some of you can put a capital G there and follow it with a ulf. Some of you can put a capital E there and follow it with a SPN. It's ESPN personified, set up. Let's bow before it for nine hours in a row. You can put a capital W there and follow it with an O-R-R-Y. Or a capital N and follow it with an A-N-E. You can put all kinds of things there, personified. But you see, there's this competition. You can put a big O there for organ or a big B for banjo, you know, whatever it is. Those things are side issues, not the primary issue. The primary issue is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know what God wants from you? He wants you to love him with all your heart, and love him with all your soul, and love him with all your strength. What does he want from Grace of Anne? What does he want from a worship service? Where does he want us to be in five years or 10 years or 25 years? He wants us to be people whose hearts he zeroes in on and sees that we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. All the other benefits, as joyous as they might be, as important as they might be, are side items. This is what he wants from his people. This is why we were built. And it's the way we were built. And it's why we were saved. 
Father, you are beautiful to your people. We come before you and we recite, not without reflection, but with, with deep veneration and gratitude and consideration, the fact that you are gracious, the fact that you are merciful, that you are good to your people, that you suffer long with us, Lord, that you remain faithful even when we fail you. We remember, Lord, that you are not merely powerful, but you are all-powerful. There is no thing that you have made over which you do not have control. We revel in those things, Lord, and we pray that your Spirit would move in our lives, and that you would forge out in us a people who better understand what it is to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Might it be a hallmark of our people and I pray, Lord, that it would be a hallmark of this people, that we would be the people in our church who would be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And by your Spirit's use, uh, we, might, uh, we might bring others alongside of us in our marvel at who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys.